What's up, everybody? Uh, welcome to a new episode of Moon With Life. Um, hope you all have uh, been able to take something away from the past few episodes that I've been posting. I haven't been talking at all. Uh, I've been using the talking more for the Music Never Stops segments. You know, using my talking points for those and the songs and what, you know, trying to incorporate a story or a memory or some type of tie into... Um, the song you know that I'm presenting for the week, um, but this week I just I just wanted to touch base really quick. I'm not I'm not looking to be here on for more than a minute or two. I'm already reaching a minute, so it's gonna be a little bit longer than a minute. But point is, um, this will tie into tomorrow's um, episode because um, this is Matthew McConaughey being interviewed by Lewis Howes, um, and. He, he, Matthew McConaughey has, Matthew McConaughey has, uh, some good stories I've, I've been listening to. He was on Joe Rogan. He's now in Lewis house. He did the hot ones, which is that wing, uh, eating the hot wings. Um, so he's, he's kind of made his way around. I've, I've heard a couple, like I said, I've heard a couple of talks through, especially the Joe Rogan one was really good. Obviously I talk about Joe Rogan a lot. Like the way I talk about Jocko as far as interview capacity and, um, even me going back, you know, me starting this podcast in the first place. But um, Matthew McConaughey talks a lot about value and storytelling and those things. Um, my primary focus that brought me into this particular um, interview was the fact that Lewis House started on something. N- it, yes, it's tied into the book, but it, it was a different intro. It was a different starting point than it than what was being done on. Um, Joe Rogan, and I haven't heard Tim Ferriss one yet. There's another episode that I listened to where Matthew McConaughey was on. Um, but I was like, oh, we started off with this particular segment. We're talking about calling mom and dad, mom and dad. And he was, he was some, he was not home. He was, uh, he was uh, studying abroad for a year, I believe. And he'll, he'll, you'll, you'll hear it immediately here uh, as soon as I'm done talking. But um, values, and I like that start. So I want to run, in, I want to do that and then, um, then we'll listen to, I mean, you'll be able to hear the rest of the interview and we'll go from there. Um, like I said, hopefully, I hope you've been getting something out of this. Um, I, I definitely have, I'm, I'm have, has, I definitely have, I'm looking to buy the book, uh, Matthew McConaughey's newest release, um, probably this weekend. Um, so by the time you hear this, I still have a day of work by this, by the time this gets released, but my point is to buy it over the weekend. Then, um, I don't know if I'll necessarily bring it to the podcast yet, but I'm definitely going to read it and see uh, what other stories he has in there that that are um, just see what he brings to the table. I, I, I it's been a minute since I've read a biography like this, I think, and uh, so I'm I'm looking forward to it because I said the like I said the interviews have been the interviews I interviews I've listened to have been pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, I'll leave you with that. Hope you enjoy this, and y'all have a good weekend there was a point in the book where you said that your first exchange student family um asked you to call them mom and pop i think it was yes. mom and dad and you said no which was uh i guess challenging moment where you had to kind of stand up for what you wanted but why do you feel like values are so important for you 
And what did that lesson in that moment kind of standing up for your values yeah. against authority of a place that had you welcomed in, feeding you, housing yeah. you? Yeah. How did you, how did you learn all that? Well, let me answer the, the, the I'll come back to what the, what I think values overall mean and how they've helped me to get to where I am and go where I think we all hopefully need to go. But that story was, I was, I was in Australia for a year, uh, two weeks out of high school, I went over there. And for the first time I was all alone. I was in a foreign place. Uh, I was, uh, uh, forced into great introspection, uh, existential questions of, you know, who, what, where, when, and why, and how. I didn't have a crutch. I didn't have my car. I didn't have a girlfriend. I didn't have a job. I didn't have money. I didn't have my parents. I didn't have friends. And I was lost in trying to, trying to find a bit of a compass and an anchor. And some odd things were going on for me um, and, and my relationships with some people there um, where I was questioning my own sanity. Um, and I was kind of going along with everything. And that moment where I was asked to call someone mom and pop was a seminal moment because in my chaotic, chaotic life <laughs> and my anarchic brain that I was living in at the time, that was the first bit of real clarity that I was like, no, that is not open for discussion. All these other odd things that have been happening to me, I've been tallying up to, oh, it must be a cultural difference. It must be a cultural difference. This was something that I went, Culture my backside, Ben. I don't care. Place, time, whatever. That's not negotiable for me. So I said no. Um, and it was very clear. And it gave me clarity. It gave me some identity. And it was just an obvious uh, uh, thing to deny or that I could never call someone. Right. Um, so, I mean, look, the, the values are inherent in that. But that, that helped me. That really helped with my sanity to have that sort yeah. of that sort of something that was so clear to me that was black and white. I needed that at that time in my life. It's hard to find those things in life in general, you know, and how many times do we call, you know, the compromise a shade of gray when actually the right kind of compromise is the, the eye of great light and truth. Um, but at the same time, we need, uh, we feel like we need as humans something to grab a hold of, something to grasp a hold of. It can be very good for us. It can also be very dangerous for us. Look at what's happening now in our nation. Mm -hmm. The divide is people running to the extremes because they need something to hold on to, to have an identity, to feel like they have a purpose, to have a foot on the ground in these chaotic times we're in. Um, but the values of family, what that means, the values of, uh, of, of loyalty, the values of accountability, responsibility, the responsibility of freedom, the freedom of responsibility, um, fairness, those are things that I was raised on that I've found that are never going to go out of style. And I actually think we could all double down on them personally and as a society now. For sure. You talked about identity. Is there ever a moment in your, your, your life after that moment where you lost your identity? Or you felt like I'm losing the grasp of who I am. I know you talk about in the book of like looking yourself in the mirror a lot and asking that question yeah. of are you happy with what you see in the mirror when you look in your yeah. eyes. Was there ever points where you lost it fully and you had to kind of I've never lost it fully. I've never lost it fully. I have a pretty good threshold and a pretty good quick trigger for if I'm not feeling fully myself, I need to go remedy it which may be taking a walk about with myself mm. with a backpack for 22 days to Peru or Africa or, or meditating or praying or going and sitting still for a while or going back to what I know I can rely on family and sitting there and clearing my head about all this other ambitions and that I may have in my head. I've never lost it fully. And if anything, I've been 
it's been a nice, I would say a good trait of mine that my trigger is very quick for if I'm starting to feel imbalanced or lack of identity, not understanding exactly who I am. My feet are maybe not on the ground. Maybe my head and my heart and my spirit, my loins are not aligned. You know, I always like to say, let's have an autobahn. When we're, when we're really, when we're really rocking, we have an autobahn between our, our head and our heart and our spirit. Just boom. You know what it's I mean? Gone, but sometimes yeah. that gets blocked and you start going, wait, it feels like it feels like a two lane highway or maybe that's down, now it's down to a one lane blacktop. I need, I need to take a minute. <laughs> I gotta, I gotta, I gotta step back and clean, clean, clean it out and widen up the lanes here um, and get aligned again. Um, so thankfully I've, I've had a pretty good short trigger and uh, threshold for realizing when I'm feeling like, Oh, I'm headed that way and I need to do something about it. Um, so never fully lost my identity, but have calibrated and had to recalibrate and had many, mm-hmm. many walkabouts to go check back in with myself, kept, let memory catch up and have a Socratic dialogue with uh, McConaughey and, and end up forgiving stuff and then saying enough's enough with this other stuff. Mm-hmm. And you're the only person that I'm stuck with McConaughey. So we better <laughs> figure out how to get along. <laughs> you got to have good company with yourself. What's the thing that's been the hardest for you to forgive? Ooh, that's a good one. I'm, I, can, I can forgive others much easier than I forgive myself. And I don't so know so the thing with you that's been the hardest to, to let go of? Thing for me, um, you know, I, I, there's no deep, dark crimes in my closet. There's no uh, real violence or I've really hurt someone. I've been, I've been, I've got times where I've been ugly mm-hmm. and I did not know or realize at the time, especially the life that I live now in the last 25 years, that my words coming from me with my platform and somebody's perception of me can come at you in bold print and from a large megaphone and can mean more things that I'll, things that may tickle me I've noticed can bruise others mm. and I bruised some people along the way and didn't notice it until after and didn't notice the impact it had on me. I'm like, what, really? Oh, I thought that was, uh, oh, so I've had, I've, I've done that. And uh, um, I've tried to, I, I haven't swept everything up and made full amends yet. And I'm happy to say, I think it's a pretty short list. It's not a long list, but, I, but I've done that and, that and I, and I have some guilt over that and I still have some amends to make with that. Really? So you feel like you haven't fully forgiven, uh, let go, or, or I need I need to make amends. I've I've I think I've let go, but I need I don't think I can fully let go until I make amends with them. Uh, you've forgiven yourself for what you did or how you communicated, but you haven't. Yeah, said, hey, but, that wasn't cool. Or but my intent, you know, and we have to watch this. I think a lot in life is is what we mean to say and what's actually being received can be there can be a gap between that. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for intent. I'm, I think I write about this in the mm-hmm. book. The words are momentary. The intent is what's momentous. And, and, and I think we could have some more amnesty and forgiveness on this use, on this where, the way we're attacking words and the value we're giving words these days. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but there's times that my intent's been misconstrued. There's times, yeah. it's, look at it, it happens all the time in a doggone email. If someone puts an exclamation mark, if you're having a stressful morning, you think they're yelling at you. But right. if you're not having a stressful morning, you think that, oh, yeah, they're really happy. <laughs> so you don't get the, do you need the emoji, you know, to let right. you know how I'm feeling or what I really mean by it? And that gets, it gets, uh, it can, some of it can, you can, you can miss the intent or, yeah. or get someone at a bad time and they don't receive it how you meant to. And so I've got some amends to make with some people. Mm. Uh, 
in my past. And I, you know, I procrastinated some of that because I know they're going to be, I feel they're going to be long, long drawn out conversations. I may be wrong. They may be like three minutes. The person may go, Oh dude, I forgave you that long time ago. I forgave you that. Isn't there a chapter in your book about taking hills? Yeah. Climbing hills. Yeah. Would that be a hill for you to climb, which is like doing the hard thing and, and addressing the thing that's going to take a long time or it's not going to be uncomfortable. Well, there's climbing heels and there's also, it's about the handling the nose or the crises in life. If we handle the nose, it, it, they're, they're actually more important than even handling the yeses sometimes. Meaning I've always tried to practice if I get offered um, a script, say, uh, for a movie and I form a relationship with so said director or producer. And then it comes a time, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm got, five scripts maybe I'm, I'm working on. I formed a relationship walking down the line forward with say three, four, five different directors and gotten to know them, had a drink with them, had a meal with them, talked to them on the phone, know about the family. And there comes a time where I'm gonna have to say no to two out of those three or four out of those five. Wow. Well, it's very easy to tell my agent to go, just let them know. But I've tried to practice, I'll let them know, either in person or by a phone call. And those calls are hard because each one of those directors thought I was going to be a yes, right? And so while those calls were hard, when I hung up the phone with them, I gained more respect. They respected me more for making the hard no call. And I noticed that more and more we realized that in life that people are big boys and girls. They, under, they kind of understand when, you're, when they're told no or when, when, when someone's turned down. It's part of it. And if we realize that even if we ask the question, 50% of the answer could be a no, no matter how well this is going. Or, and that comes and that's inherent in, 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 in the request. The answer could be yes or no. And um, when, we, when we handle our no's personally, by making that personal call or doing it in person, I've found that, to, that, that that's been an additive uh, in, in compounding assets in, in my future. Yeah, I think we also gain confidence and belief in ourselves that we can take on challenging things in the future. And we have more pride in like, hey, I did the hard thing. You know, yeah. it's kind of like this self-reward of like, wow, okay, I, I believe in myself. I can do this. I don't need to always pass everything off to someone else. No, no. I mean, you know, that, that chapter about taking the hill or, you know, it's also about not creating false trauma when it's not needed. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of people do that and I've fallen been susceptible to it as well. The drama is going to come. Real drama is going to come. Someone's going to get sick. All right. Yeah. Someone's going to get hurt. We're going to really screw up and then have to handle it. Something's going to happen. Or the world's COVID's going to come. Something's going to come that's real. And so don't look for the false drama um, when it's not there. And people have a habit of it. I've done it before myself. And that's sort of the inverse of take the hill and climb the hill is there's an art to running downhill which I write about in the book. When things are going well, don't trip yourself and face plant because, because it's going too good. <laughs> don't get nervous though. Oh my gosh, it's going so good. No, embrace it and stay in stride because the uphill will be there in a minute and you'll have to break a sweat and it'll be hard again. Yeah, how, do you, how did you not self-sabotage when you were just getting hit after hit and opportunity after opportunity and you were going downhill um, how, how do you not do that where you self-sabotage and what do you recommend for other people so they don't do it when the opportunities are, are great, 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 great topic because I have tripped myself running downhill before I have face planted, you know, 
broke my nose and to, to, to proverbially make sure I was felt. It's like, you don't yeah. need to, you don't need to go that hard. You know what I mean? We don't need to draw blood McConaughey just to make sure we can feel. Um, so there's been times I have not been graceful when I was running downhill. Um, but I shook hands with the fact that, okay, obviously it means you give a damn mm. McConaughey. Obviously it means you, you, you're trying to read through the mendacities of life. You're trying to get down to the common denominator about what really matters to you. You're trying to uh, 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 understand all this affluence and things coming to you that you ne never had yesterday that now you have, and you want 80 hours in a day, but they're still only given 24. Um, I got to get some discernment in here. And for me, I've had to, I've been, had the ability and I have taken what I call fugamundi, a walkabout. I have taken those solo trips with myself. I've, what we talked about earlier in the conversation, gone to a place where I could hear myself think, where I could get my head and my heart aligned. In those times of great affluence, sometimes it's all heady. Mm -hmm. And I have a, a, a piece in the book about when you can, ask yourself if you want to before you do. Well, in times of great influence, we have a lot of I can in front of us. Tons mm -hmm. of opportunity. And too many options can make yeah. a tyrant out of anybody. Yeah. Um, so it's a very heady thing. And sometimes that, that, that's times when it's like, okay, this all makes sense in my head, but I don't really feel it inside my spirit. I don't know if it's really me, if it's really good for me, if this is going to turn me on and help me be and feed me. But geez, I mean, I've never had the option before. It sounds awesome. I mean, yes. Well, that's not a bad thing to do, but we got to check in on that because you can look up and the tank can be on, 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 on reserve. Yeah. Uh, when you look in the rearview mirror and go, whoa, I over leveraged myself with things that did not feed me and pay me back. And so how do we, we need to take that time to go check in. And it can be a hairy, hairy time, man, because the answers don't come quickly sometimes. Yeah. And when they don't come and you're shaking monkeys off your back and you're not enjoying your own company and none of it makes sense and it's all confusing and you're looking over there and you want to go, well, you want to go to entertainment or communication or you want to pick up the phone or you want to drink earlier. You know, one of those things that come up to, to, to mask that, you got to hold, try to hold back and say, no, I'm going to sit in this discomfort. This is a prudent a penance I am taking to get to know myself mm. and listen to myself. And there's prudence in it. Why do you think so many people try to resist discomfort when so many great things come yeah. from being in discomfort? Why do we resist it? I mean, look, we all like pleasure over pain. Yeah. But I think what we forget sometimes is that there's a greater pleasure that can come with going through a pain. Mm. I mean, you can have little pleasures. If you don't, I mean, I, it's see some people that are like just glide through life forever woohoo those people are not really ambitious though i find they don't really they're not really on the chasing down a better self or chasing down a higher existence or chasing down a, high, a, a different truths and I, it's admirable it's fine it's fine if you can be the kingdom of your own castle and that's the world you live in and that's just how you walk and go bravo as long as you're not harming other people but if you go through resistance and you choose resistance at the right times um, and you go through it, you have greater, more evolved pleasure on the other side of it. So true. Um, again, responsibility and freedom. That relationship is really at the core of a lot of this. That's true. There's a responsibility to freedom and freedom in the responsibility. 
And the responsibility is the hard work. You know, the freedom's the Saturday. The freedom's what we want. The responsibility is what we need. But you go through what you need when, when, we, when what we want actually is what we need and what we need is actually what we want. That's the honey hole where, hey, I look, I look as good as I feel and I feel as good as I look. <laughs> Ta-da! <laughs> you know, where, the, where, where, where we're selfish and selfless at the mm. same time. That's, I know what, I, what I'm chasing. When we take responsibility and we have structure, which you've talked about also, uh, and, and kind of have those, not limits, but you have some structure and some boundaries, you can really be flexible and free within those boundaries, um, right. which I think is powerful. But if we have no responsibility and no boundaries, it's hard to really create that. There's freedom. no form. Yeah. It's anarchy. I mean, with, with, let's, go, let's go all the way down to the basics. Gravity. Yeah. Without gravity, there's no form. You know, and, and without with gravity, there'd just be chaos and anarchy. Um, some people do it the other way. I call this version what you were talking about, conservative, early liberal, late. Meaning, what are the rules of the situation? Let me get my structure. Let me check my sandbox and make sure there's no glass and sharp objects in it. So I can, once I've checked all that, now I can blow in the wind and do backflips naked in the sand, in the sand my sandbox. Or now I can get on my 16 lane highway that I've checked out. I've seen it's clean and I can swerve all through those lanes. Some people go the other way. They jump off the cliff and say, I'll figure it out on the way down. That's also useful as well. It's not how I choose, how I've found it works for me, but. It sounds like uh, values are really important to you. Identity and responsibility are important to you. Why do you think? Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard for the younger generation, the millennials? Why is it so hard for them to find their identity, take responsibility, and develop values? And what advice would you have for the youth on how to find all three? Yeah. Look, I'm going to go back to a version of saying, "Too many options can make a tyrant of any of us." This look at the world that a, a, a lot of our young people are living in. We're all connected, but nobody's with each other. Mm. Their world is massive. They have more outreach than any of us ever have. But they're more isolated than ever before. So it's inevitable human nature me, I'm betting you, I've got, I, 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 I feel sound with myself. My spirit feels good. I've got three children and a, and a wife. But even I'll have a different reaction if you give me a thumbs up on my comment or a thumbs down. Even you, the great Matthew even McConaughey. If just, even if it's just, well, wait, what was that about? Is that, you know, mm. uh, is that, was that a constructive criticism or do you just not like me? Do you just, were you going to put a thumbs down anyway? Or what was the thumbs up about? It, it, it can affect you. And so a lot of our youth is living in that world where their emotional feelings about themselves and their own identity is based off your reaction, strangers' reactions. Some of them, which may not have even read or cared about what you were actually putting out and didn't care about the intent. And that can affect you. I'm not saying, and just so I think we got it. There's a responsibility to that world that we, to whatever extent the millennials live in it. There needs to be, uh, they need to edit and govern back themselves with what they allow themselves to, 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 to be out there. How, how, how proverbial naked they are to like, I'm sharing it all with the world. I'm sending it out to a bunch of strangers 
and they're going to come back to me and let me know mm. who I am. Wow. Uh-uh. No. Check in. <laughs> and remember this, you millennials, that like, dislike, comment that you put today, that's going to outlive you. It's immortal. It's permanent. You and I are not permanent. Mm. That comment is. Think about before you click and what you put out. Are you putting out something today that you're going to look forward to looking back at? Are you putting out something today in your resume of life that is going to write your eulogy after you're gone, which is going to introduce you forever wow. when you're gone? Think about it. How did you, I mean, you've done, it seems like a million movies, so many big hits, but there were some that got some controversial feedback or bad reviews, right? There was different stages sure. that you had. How did you handle it as a, a creator, as an artist, as an actor, um, when you got negative reviews or when it didn't hit the expectations sure. of the box office or whatever you guys had? How did you deal with that to say, yeah. you know what, I'm not going to let the opinions of others bring me down? Well, ooh, they did bring me down sometimes, I have to admit. Really? Uh, Look, my favorite, word in the, my favorite word in the world is unanimous. I know I'm never going to get it. There's no such thing, but that's still what I'll ch I'm chasing. And I know I'm never going to get it. So I'll be underwhelmed for the rest of life. And that'll be fine if I keep enjoying the chase, right? I, I did this exercise one time. I sat down and I had my publicist gather every bad review over, over 20 years ago. <laughs> Not the, the bad review. And it was a thick... <laughs> It was, a, it was a thick folder. It was a big book. Um, in ways, it was more constructive than reading the good reviews. There were some people I could read that, oh, they already didn't like me. This review was written poorly before they even saw the movie. I could just tell. You could hear the snark in the opening comment. There were other ones that had constructive things to say. No, McConaughey, this is what I love about you, that you do, that is quintessentially you. And you, you, you didn't, you, I don't know who you were, who you were trying to be in this. You, were, you, what, you, you, you missed the mark. Hmm. You, you didn't give you that heart that you give or something that you can say, I could say is essential that I can give to every role, no matter what I'm playing. So some of it was very constructive. And I went, mm, you're right. Mm, you're right. And had to go back, look in my diaries during those movies. What was I doing? What was I eating? Who was I hanging out with? Where was my, where was my mind? How was I feeling about this? Was I working hard enough? Did I prepare enough? Did I, did, did I get complacent? Oh, yeah, you did. You got complacent there. You thought you had it going. And that's kind of this, that's actually the scene that this critic's pulling out saying, you know, you lost me right there, McConaughey. And I'm like, yeah, I was lazy in that scene. <laughs> so, I, look, other times... There was, a, there was a real pivotal time in my life when I'd been, I was on a roll with romantic comedies. Crushing. Love doing those. Crushing yeah, the rom like a 10-year roll, just like, boom, boom, boom. <laughs> took the baton from Hugh Grant and turned up the speed. Let's go, baby. <laughs> <laughs> it was great, man. They're fun. I was getting paid handsomely. They were making a lot of money. The, what the challenge became, though, that was the only thing I was getting offered. Like, with the success of those, any dramas I wanted to do, the opportunity to do those became less and less and less and less until it was like, no, McConaughey is the shirtless on the beach rom-com guy. And I remember looking at the mirror going, okay. And yes, I'm shirtless on the beach because those rom-coms are paying the rent for the house I've got on the beach that I'm running shirtless on. <laughs> yes, I work to get that. Yeah. <laughs> I looked that in the eye. In fact, that is me now. 
that also that does not uh, that does that does not mean that it didn't become a thing that became like a, p- a pigeonhole. Oh, that's all McConaughey is and does. And it was a time in my life where uh, Camilla and I just had our first child. So, do you have children? No kids, not yet. You'll you, you'll see when and if you do. Mm-hmm. A man is never more masculine than right after the birth of his first child. Mm. And I don't mean macho. I mean the clarity. That Autobahn we're talking about, about mind, heart, spirit, and loins, it is so clear. The first six months after your newborn, don't double down, triple down on any instinct you have, career-wise, relationship-wise, anything. Stock market, just triple down on them. You'll be right. It's, a, it's, it's, it's an incredible time. Anyway, I had just had a newborn. Camilla had had the newborn. So my life was so vital, man. I mean, I was loving harder. I was, had more, more rage in the right places. I, I would get sad more. I, my emotions, the ceilings and the basements were, were, were really incredibly vital. And the rom-coms have a much thinner bandwidth for those, for those emotions, how you can feel about something. The, the ceiling and the basement are, 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 are compressed quite a bit and that's how they're built. Mm-hmm. They're built, you're supposed to bounce along the clouds. They're built to be buoyant. And I was like, Ah, I wish I could find some work that would challenge the vitality and drama, great drama I have in my own life. Those things weren't coming to me. So since those things weren't coming to me, I decided to stop doing what I was doing, which was the rom-coms. Now, I'm figuring this is gonna be a bit of a dry spell in my career, but I don't know for how long. Um, I shed many a tear on the shoulder of my wife talking about, you know what, I, 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 I wanna make a change. I, need, I, I want my career, some work to challenge the man I am, to challenge the life that I'm living. But I mean, that means I'm not gonna go with work for a while. Call my money man. He says, you can take off. You've handled your money well. Call my agent. He goes, do it. I work for you. We got to go ahead. And then I stopped. I said, I moved down to Texas. You didn't see me on the beach. You didn't see me in the rom-com. You didn't see me in the tabloids. You didn't see me anywhere. Rom-coms kept coming in as offers. Nope, 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 nope. And then one comes in, an $8 million offer. Let me have a read of this one. I read it. Pretty good. No, thank you. Pass. They come back with a $10 million offer. No, thank you. They come back with a 125 million dollar offer uh dot 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 Mm, no thanks they come back with a 15 million dollar offer i say let me read that again (laughs) (laughs) i read it again same script word for word as the original eight million dollar offer but at 15 million dollars ooh, it was written so much better it looks good doesn't it it was more dramatic. I got angles on this. I can make this work. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I ended up saying no. Uh, and that really got the message across to the industry. Okay, McConaughey is serious. He's not doing any rom-coms. Then nothing came in for about 10 months. Nothing. Dry as a bone. And after 20 months of a desert and nothing coming in and saying no, first saying no to what I was doing and then nothing coming in at all, all of a sudden, I became a new good idea. McConaughey for Killer Joe, uh, Magic Mike, Mud, True Detective, Dallas Patrick. All of a sudden, that was a new novel, good idea. Why? Because I'd unbranded. I had stepped away and I was gone. They didn't know where I was. Couldn't find me on the beach without my shirt. You couldn't find me in a rom-com. 
and I became a new good idea. So that's kind of a, the most dramatic sort of hinge point in my career that deals with how I dealt with, uh, uh, you know, how I was perceived or how, what I was doing in my career. This is a, a very important question. If it was 25 million, would you have done it? No. I wouldn't have done it for a hundred million. Wow! I'd already, my, my, I'd already no, I'd already made the the the, the Socratic oath with my soul. Committed. It was, I was in. I was in. If it was, I would have got more excited. The more the fact that the money went up, it, it was kind of it was a, such a buzz to even have the courage to say no to it, and, and, wow. and it, gave, it empowered me to go. Mm -mm, mm -mm, that's mm -mm. cool because you you go back to your values and your identity of like, no, that's not who I want to be anymore. Uh, this is who I want to be. I want to. You call it. Uh, just call it unbranding. Is that what you said? Unbranded. Yeah. Unbranded, unbranded to then rebrand. Yeah. I think that's powerful. It's like, we should always be in a stage of reinvention. You know, you reinvented yourself as a father, you reinvented yourself as an actor. Uh, and I think that's, that's really powerful. Good for you, yeah, man. That's, and, it's hard I to mean, turn away those checks. Yeah. Well, you know, I'd saved my money well. I, you know, I, I, I was appreciating the basics, had a roof over my head. I would have found, I honestly, in that two years, I considered other vocations. I considered other careers. Like what? That time. Ah, coach, a high school football team, a teacher, fourth grade teacher, orchestral conducting, wildlife guide, write. I did a lot of writing at the time. Didn't have a book to put out at that time. I did a lot of writing at the time. I didn't, I didn't have the confidence to think the, the writing was worth publishing, but I was still doing a lot of writing at the time. So if you would have not gotten the dramatic roles that you were looking for uh, after two, three, four, five years, you would have yeah. gone and been a, a high school football coach or a writer or a wildlife guide for 60 to 80 grand a year and, and been just as happy? Well, I'm pretty sure. I'm, I'm, I'm almost definite. I would have been just as happy. Because I get one of the central themes in the book is that when faced with the inevitable, get relative. I'm that's really one of the key tools in the book is how do you get relative when you deem a situation inevitable? So how do you start making an upside of what could be perceived perceived crisis? Right. Um, when and how we do that is really one of the keys to having to satisfaction in life. Yeah. Um, if you do it too early, okay. If I say for that instance, if I said, okay, it's been two years, that's enough, I give, I'm going off to do something else. Well, that would have been the wrong choice because I would have been a quitter. Look what happened. I just had to outlast him and it'd take 20 months. If I'd have pulled the plug at 18 months and done something different, I would have been a quitter, right? I didn't endure enough. But there's also situations that you can bang your head on through endurance where you're actually acting out the definition of insanity. You're, you're trying to get something done the same way over and over and over and not getting the results you want. So you need to back up and relatively speaking, pivot. Wait, let me, let me reapproach this situation. Maybe I'm looking at it the wrong way. Let me pivot. Then there's other times you just gotta wave the white, the white flag and say, you got it, you win. I'm gonna go fight another battle up here, <laughs> you know? So when do we do one of those, each one of those with, with every given situation? That's sort of the honey hole, the tool that really it, it, I think it can be helpful to us. I'm not always watching the award shows. Sometimes they're on and I see them, but it's not like the thing for me to watch. But I remember watching uh, The Year You Won, the Oscar. And I remember your speech was, has to be one of the most iconic speeches of all time from an award show. And you talk about chasing your hero is your 10-year self in the future. I'm curious, right. 
if you could put yourself 10 years from now, 60, because you just yeah. turned 50, yeah. what would your hero at 60 say about who you are today? Looking back. Wow. Yeah, it's a great question. And one I think we should all ask ourselves. <laughs> Have I had that great sit down with our future self? Um, I think you'd say, make sure, make sure you trust yourself. Make sure you, you did a good job of trusting yourself, but you know what? You could have even trusted yourself more. Mm. You could even trust yourself more. You made some things, maybe, maybe you made some things a little too hard, maybe where you didn't need the resistance. Just sit back and trust yourself. So made some things hard because you, you felt like you needed to feel it. Nah, you, 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 you already done the work. You had already, you already laid, the, laid the rails on the road just now. Right now, stay vital. Keep those rails greased. Keep yourself in shape. Mentally, spiritually, but overall, you you've done it. You did, did it. You you you're doing good at trusting yourself. Um, and I'm I'm, I'm proud, proud of how you. You know, my favorite thing about you, 50 year old Matthew, <laughs> is that you give a damn. And 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 uh, sometimes I wish you would have maybe given yourself a break in places where you didn't. But you know what? That's who you've always been. And shoot, now that I look in the mirror at 60, that's that's who I still am too. So anyway, um, thanks for getting me here uh, to, to 60. It's great to see uh, the kids all out of the house now. And, 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 and uh, um, me and, me and, me and our, our wife, uh, Camilla, are having a great time, kind of like a honeymoon again. Uh, the kids are out of the house and got a new season in life. And uh, you, you, did a, you, did a, you did a good job being a parent. You were a good father. And that was the thing, you know, you always wanted to be. It's the thing we've always known that we wanted to be. The only thing we ever knew we wanted to be. And you, and you, and you weren't perfect as a father, but you did a doggone damn good job as a father. Oh, yeah. And let's keep rocking. <laughs> and let's keep living. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's a beautiful reflection of your future hero. I, I, just, I haven't had one of those before. Yeah, I had until just now. I haven't really thought about it that way. And thank you for asking that question. Of course. That's beautiful. I'm curious. You mentioned, I want to ask about your, your dad here in a second and the impact he's made on you and the biggest lessons, but you've talked about your wife many times. What do you admire about your wife the most? I admire how instinctually, without any intellectual mathematics at all, no matter what she's doing, no matter what job she's on, no matter what she's handling, if something comes up to help me or the kids or the family out, she so elegantly sets what she's doing down and comes and handles that and helps and helps puts family first like that. It is, and she does it in such a graceful way. Look. Hence why she's got 163,000 emails. <laughs> you know what I mean? She's able to do that over there. Me, I would be like, yeah, yeah I'll, I'll be right there. Let me, let me finish this up. Ba, 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 ba. You know what I mean? She's able to just go, nope, I know what really, really, really matters. Mm. This is all uh, stuff that I should do, but this is not of the greatest import. She, Lewis, I'll be right back. You know, it, very gracefully. Wow. And she would do it in a way where you wouldn't go, she walked out on my show. No, you'd be like, it'd be one of the better interviews you had in moments in an interview because she'd come back and go, yeah, my son just had so-and-so and I had to help him sometimes. And you'd be like, wow, how elegantly she can make that of most import. 
at any given time. Her family, me and the family of the most important at any given time and how gracefully and elegantly she can do it is my, one of my favorite traits of her. Mm, that's beautiful. Now, we have, uh, we have a few things in common. We, we both love football. Unfortunately, you like Texas football and I like Ohio State. We're not in the same conference, so I'll support Texas football from afar. It's okay. If you're from Michigan, it'd be harder for me. Um, uh, okay. <laughs> but we both have the same middle name, which I just found David. out about. Yeah, David. So I'm not sure if that's your mom that gave Those you that. David. <laughs> I'm not sure if your mom gave you that or your dad gave you that or it was a combination, but we both have the underdog mentality. I like to think of we're always in that yes. underdog David versus Goliath. You've talked about underdog being an underdog in your book and also in your speeches uh, um, on YouTube. A lot of great speeches of you on YouTube, your father, who I'm assuming was a part of giving you the name David was a, was a big impact on your life. A lot of amazing lessons in this book. Again, I want to remind people to make sure they get this book if they haven't got green lights yet. But your father um, put a big impact in your life. He passed when you were, I think it was five days in shooting your first movie. Is that Two correct? Shooting days in the first movie ever made. Yeah. First movie. August seventeenth, ninety three. And you were 20... 92. 92. So I'm 20, 92, 22, I think. So something, something we have in common is when I was 22, my dad got into a near fatal car accident. He was in New Zealand with his, um, his girlfriend at the time. My parents got divorced. It's in his next girlfriend. They were in New Zealand traveling. I was 22 years old. He got in a car accident, was in a coma for three months. And we didn't know if he was going to live or die. He's still alive today, but he's a completely different man. He's not there physically and emotionally like he was. It was almost like I lost my dad that day, emotionally, mentally. Right. Uh, we can have conversations, but there's a lot of amnesia. It's a lot of asking who I am and things like that of the past. But that moment for me made me, it was a rite of passage. You talk about rite of passages in your life as a man. And it, I would not be where I am today doing the things I'm doing today without that experience of essentially losing my father emotionally and mentally and you lost him yeah. physically he was, he was gone physically from your life at the same age as i did where do you think your life would be if he was still here do you think you would be able to have the impact you have on humanity uh do you think you'd have the, the relationship the children that you have um or would something would things be different because you don't have what you call in the book that safety net it's a great question and I don't know the answer. I mean, my, my, you know, these existential questions are always fun to go over because it's all a mystery going forward. It's all a science looking back Yeah. and we can connect the dots looking back. Um, you know, I don't know what else I would be doing because this is just what I've done and I've only done it once and, and, and doing it once. I, I, I do, maybe I would have, uh, him passing on, and that year in Australia are two moments that I do often question, would I be sitting here right now talking to you with the life I have mm. if it didn't happen? I, I, I'm, I'm very confident that I would have had some sort of enriched life that I felt satisfied and felt joy in living if I'd have been doing something else. But at the same time, those moments, what I can really speak to is that I, I, be, I manned up when he moved on. Mm -hmm. 
I don't know how you, you felt when you when you when you you know you didn't lose your dad physically, but emotionally, I, you know, father for me it was he, he was my safety net. Those values that he that he was teaching me, I still had in my hip pocket that oh, if I only kind of use them 85 percent of the time i'm good because he's got my back he's above law he's above government he's my safety net in case i really need him so i'm not i'm kind of half-assing these values he's teaching me or maybe i'm doing pretty good at him but i'm not committed because i got him and then he was gone physically and all of a sudden i was like whoa oh and i remember this i write about this in the book i remember this was something that came to me just keep living came to me, which was about keeping his, his, his spirit and what he taught me alive in life after he's gone. But also this four words, less impressed, more involved. Mm-hmm. I remember things after he moved on, things that were mortal in life that I had reverence for. Fame, uh, uh, money, uh, success, people. And all of a sudden, while I still respected them, Instead of looking up at all of them, they came down to eye level. I looked them in the eye. They were mortal. I had full respect for them, but they were mortal. I could be involved with them. I'm looking them in the eye. Mm. Things that I looked down upon. I was condescending, patronizing. Ah, geez, I don't like that. <laughs> Look at her. Look at that. All of a sudden, those things rose up to eye level. And the world was flat. I could see further, I could see wider, I could see more clearly. And I was standing taller. And my head was higher, my heart was higher. And I was like, it's time to man up and become a man, mm. <laughs> McConaughey. And this is how you need to see the world. You need to have the courage to follow through. And that does not mean, you know, that is always not the, the most popular decisions. Quit, quit half-assing yourself. Quit doing things just to get along or, 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 or if you disagree with it. Um, you know, don't, don't, we're not going to be that, that guy who makes the joke at the party that makes more people laugh, but everyone walks away disrespect anymore. You know, what are your, it was the beginning of understanding when do you, what are the choices you make? Again, the compounding assets that our choices, the choices we make compounding assets for our future. How do we be more true and kind to our future selves? How do we start making some more choices, make choices that by hook or by crook, you know, they're going to be brave, courageous choices that you can look in the mirror if it works and go, yep, I'm responsible. And if they don't work, you can go, yep, that's on me. Um, quit living in limbo. You know, straddling a fence here or there. Be smart. Don't be foolish. Don't dive in. Courage to take more risks. Courage to get uncomfortable with that fame and be able to go, the world needs you here right now. The studio wants you to pick out a picture. You're as hot as can be, but I don't care. I got to check out with, and go spend some time with me to figure out this. The, the courage to do those things. I don't know if I'd have done those things. Mm. I had the courage to do them because maybe I would have still been stuck in, no, I'm so happy to be here. I'm so impressed to be here. I'm so thankful I have these options and these, these possibilities for success. Thank you. Well, if you're so impressed with something in your life, even our relationships, you can't really be involved in them. If you're overly impressed with me or I'm overly impressed with you, you and I can't even have a real conversation right? because one of us is holding the other on a pedestal. Look at right. our relationships. Right. Our girlfriends, our wives, our friends, if we hold them up on a pedestal, it's unfair. We don't, 
really have a relationship with them. They're, 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 we've, we've got them in this immortal bubble of being a superhuman or a superwoman. It's not fair to them. And then what happens in the reflection of their eyes? They see us the same way. Then we're both dealing with, uh, we're both for rent. <laughs> we're, we're, we're both not, not leveling. We're both too impressed with each other to be actually be involved. It's, I mean, it sounds like you learned a lot from, from his passing and, and you grew a lot and you, you, you held true to that, cor- that courage that you're talking about, which I think has made you the man I've you are. To. I, yeah. I've tried to. I mean, it's a constant, as, as you know, it's, it's, a, it's constant in process work. Yeah. I've evolved my questions and, 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 and eliminated a lot of things in my life that did not feed me, did not turn, me, turn on my true self. I've tried to eliminate those. Um, and keep more things in front of me that are things that will feed me and feed my best wolf since we've got two wolves in us. Yeah, we do. I love, that story. I love that story. What do you think of the five things we should all eliminate to live a better life? First, get rid of, we, we got to quit hanging out with those, those people that, that sort of only turn on our most banal selves. It, it, sometimes they're the easiest people to go to. Because they're the life of the party. I've been, I've been that guy before. Like I said, the life of the party. Tell the joke that's about someone that's not in the group. It's on them. We all snicker. And it's great. You got the biggest laugh, McConaughey, but everyone walks away going, I don't respect him as much. Yeah. So again, one of those long-term choices. Think about long money, not short money. Long money. Um, places. Hey, man. Geez, why, do I, why do I have a, a, a nasty hangover every time I go to that bar? I don't know, is it the drink? Is it the people? Is it what it, whatever it is, I just don't, I don't, every time I wake up the next morning after going to that bar or that place, I feel, eh, eh. eliminate that. Quit trying to make that place work. We got to eliminate this thing, this habit we all have in society right now, which is I raise me up if I put you down. Mm. It's false. Mm-hmm. It does not have a return. There's no ROI in that. Mm-hmm. It appears to be. It goes back to that, what do we tell millennials about everyone living online and social media with comments? It's, there's this false sort of impetus that, oh, I'm taller, I win if I make sure you lose. That's not winning. You know, there's room for us both to win a blue ribbon, mm-hmm. but we may do something different. And to covet or be jealous of your success, and if I don't like you and I can lose, man, I want to see that guy. That's a, that's, that, that's, you're giving yourself a disease to think, yes. oh, that's going to raise me up. Mm-hmm. So again, it's short money. It's short money. Yes. It may be even counterfeit. <laughs> <laughs> you know? um, there's a few things. Um, you know, we have a, we have a, uh, we've had this tendency to, to we, we, we put our finger and point out disease before we point, point out health. Mm. We rubberneck at the car wreck on the other side. Love to see a wreck. Wow. You know what I mean? Dissect. Here we go. We love to dissect problems. Well, start dissecting success. Start looking and deconstructing your life, your choices, those people you're hanging around with, those places. When things are going well, when you're like, oh, I feel like I finally caught a groove here. Well, mm. go, go put the pen to paper or look down or start dissecting. What am I doing? Because there's a habit, there's a, there's a science, there's some science to satisfaction. And we don't just get there by dissecting our failures. And when we're in a rut, we need to be confident enough to go, well, things are going well. And I can't take this for granted. What is it I'm doing? Oh, 
I prepared more. I, I, I didn't have stress. I mean, it goes down to the, I always call this delayed gratification, teeing yeah. yourself up for a green light. Starts with the simplest thing. And this is what I mean. Enjoy putting the coffee in the coffee filter the night before so the next morning you can get up and just go boop, press the button. Aha, look at me. I teed myself up for a Saturday. I got a green light. Instead of the next morning going, oh, gee, where is it? Because sometimes it's hard to make your coffee when you hadn't had your coffee. Mm-hmm. Like it's hard to find your glasses when you don't have your glasses on. I mean, <laughs> tee yourself up for some little pleasures, some Saturdays. Tee yourself up for some green lights. Kiddos, work. You got to, you know, it's Friday. You got that, you got that, uh, that morning meeting you're going to lead on Monday morning. Or you got that homework you got to turn in. And you just finished on Friday. And you want to go kick back and head out and relax because you're going to wait till I'll do it Sunday night. Sometimes it's pretty cool to go, you know what? I'm going to get it done right now. Mm-hmm. Because Sunday, dude, I'm going to watch football. I may be hanging out with my friends. Right. Sunday night game may be a good one, too. I may want to go late, <laughs> and I don't want to have this thing. I go like, oh, I got to get home and do that. So I'm going to tee up myself for some freedom on Sunday night by handling my stuff right now. So Sunday night, I can be like, I'm ready for tomorrow. I'm ready for Monday. And look, that doesn't mean don't be a hedonist. <laughs> that doesn't mean you know, that's the responsibility and the freedom. That doesn't mean you're not free. It's actually giving yourself more freedom. Yep. Um, it's actually giving yourself more pleasure uh, later on. I, I love delayed gratification. It's one of the things you'll see when you have, if you have children. It's one of the great things, I think, to try and get them to understand. You know, when I, when I won the Oscar for Dallas Buyers Club, I had a really cool teaching lesson. My kids were like, what's the trophy for? And I said, what was given to me? Because my people in my, in my industry deemed my work really excellent. And they go, yeah, but what's it for? And I went, you remember a year and a half ago when Popeye was really skinny and you said his neck looked like a, a giraffe? And they're like, yeah. And I go, remember you'd wake up and Popeye was already gone to work and then Popeye would get home and we'd have a dinner and then he'd have to go study and go to sleep. And he did that for like two months and he was gone all day. They're like, yeah. And I go, what I was doing that was every day then. Someone gave me a trophy for today, a year and a half later. Wow. So what you do today, what I was trying to get across them is like the, what you do today ma- can matter tomorrow. You can be rewarded for it. If you do re- something really well today, you can be rewarded. You can get a green light for that later on in life. You may not get the reward today. You may not get it today. So trust that you can be rewarded. At the same time, let's look at the inversion, inversion of that. Go ahead. Light, cheat, steal. All right. Now what? Lie, cheat, steal, broke up on the text, cheated on so-and-so, whatever, whatever. I'm not buying green lights to the future. Why? Because now everywhere I go, I got to look over my shoulder and see if someone's there that I owe money or someone's there that I cheated. And all of a sudden, now I'm not present and I'm stressing because someone goes, oh, yes, so-and-so is here. And you're like, oh, that's not a green light. It's a yellow light. It's stress. Unnecessary stress because I left crumbs then, yesterday. Don't leave the crumbs. Do yourself up for some freedom. The responsibility of, not, of picking up your crumbs to handling stuff buys you your green lights, freedom in the future. We're going like, I'm, I'm fine. I can walk in anywhere. I don't have to look over my shoulder. I'm living and doing my best to live a life where I don't have to live over my shoulder. It's a good thing for us each to do with ourselves. Yeah. And it's selfish. That's the other thing. It's selfish. And I have a full redefinition of selfish. I'm for what is selfish. It's also selfless. Mm-hmm. But it's teeing yourself up. It's being cool to and kind to your future self. And it's also what's best for the most amount of people. Absolutely. Call it that egotistical utilitarian. <laughs> you, <know? laughs> you, you mentioned how, um, 
you know, a lot of people are trying to tear other people's buildings down. Uh, when I yeah. when I interviewed Kevin Hart, he said that you know, greatness was about helping other people succeed as well, not just you succeeding and tearing other people down, but also making winners around you and building other people up around you as someone who's great. Yeah. I love I love this quote by Jim Carrey. I don't know if I'm going to say it correctly, but he said, I hope everyone becomes rich and famous so they can realize that's not the, the answer to life. Something like that, he said in a speech one time. Mm-hmm. It, it seems like so many people on social media want to become rich and famous. What have you learned about both of those things? And what advice would you have to someone who is working so hard for fame and money based on the lessons you've learned? Look. First off, what do we all learn about rich and famous? If you are rich and famous, you can be president. Ta-da! Right. Um, now, look at the definition of success. If you go back in the original Webster's Dictionary and read the definition of success, it is vastly different from the definition of success today. We have put, especially in America, fame and money at the top of the ladder for what you need to get to succeed, to be successful. And if you're successful, you have respect of peers because you're famous, because you've got more money. Our, 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 the order of what we're telling our children and ourselves to aspire to, it's out of order. It, it, it's, not, it's not in order. We, we, we have, it's, it's, it's part of the reason we have distrust in leadership today. I, there's nothing wrong with pursuing money. I love money. There's nothing wrong with, with fame. It's fickle. It's, fame is, is, is a mistress. It's not a, it's not a wife. <laughs> right. Um, so, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and you have a little, you know, tryst with fame and, 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 and but it, it's, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a, uh, an end all stay. It's not a real destination. Um, or I don't think it should be There's nothing wrong with pursuing it. Um, but then let me get into this question. Okay. So we all want relevance. We want this money. We want relevance. Yes. I agree with that. I do too. Relevance for what? That's the question we ought to ask ourselves. Mm. What do I want to be relevant for? Well, I want to be fame, us, because I made a sex tape? No, you're pretty, pretty sure I can get famous if I do that. Mm-hmm. Pretty sure you can get famous if you do that. Well, is that what you want to be famous for? Yeah. I don't know. I'll pass on that one. Don't we? It's, it's, you know, it's, it's, out, it's a bit out of order. And we need to ask ourselves that question. All right, if I want to be relevant, which everyone does, uh, what I want to be relevant for. I think that's just a good, a good question to ask ourselves. And, 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 and again, coming off what you said, Kevin Hart said, yeah, we want it for us, but can we be, can we, can we be famous for, for doing something that we enjoy, but also other people, it, it builds up other people's wealth. That's, we don't have to. Again, I'm going to go to Barkley here for a second. You get rich and famous. That's not your, I don't believe it's your responsibility to be charitable. Mm-hmm. No, it's your choice. It's a choice for anybody. Is there your choice to make or not? It's not a responsibility because I'm in a position to. No, I have to make the choice. Now, that may be a more responsible choice by me that gives me more freedom because I feel better helping other people out. And it makes me feel good selfishly when I see them receive something and go, wow, thank you, which is a selfish, good feeling. So it has payback that I would say is, again, right there, responsibility and freedom that it's paying me back and it's paying some other people back. Um, I would stick with that. I would just end on end, end it on that. We want to be relevant. <laughs> Ask ourselves yeah. for 
what? Money and success. Look at the definition of success today and the definition in the original Webster's Dictionary. And it is out of order, especially in America, what we are telling each other to aspire to be, to be deemed successful, to get respect. Yeah. With Donald Trump became president. It was so, I had so many friends that were so surprised. I'm like, what are you talking about? At the very base of it, just the lowest common denominator. What do we tell people to be in this country? Rich and famous. He was that. He was on TV and he's rich. That's what we tell everyone is successful. So it's not surprising he became president. It wasn't to me. That's what we've been telling you. We're telling everyone you need to be to succeed in life. Again, if that's your only pursuit and you disregard certain integrity and you disregard being true, true, being as true as you can to yourself, that's short money. Yeah. That ain't long money. Ooh, get that long money, baby. That's why I love your, your long money. Your Instagram bio I love because it says husband, father, then actor. You you lead yeah. with the thing that's um, you know, you want to be relevant for, that you want to be known for, that you you care about deeply the most, which I really admire and respect about you, even though that may be some small, subtle thing that someone doesn't see or recognize. I recognize that that's there purposefully for you. It's not yes. you know, Oscar award winning best actor in the world, people magazine sexiest man alive. Uh, although that's fun too, and you could put that out there, but that's not what you sure. lead with. Sure. I think is, no. and I, I, my thought is that's very intentional that you did that, and um, I, I, I recognize that. So I think I, I admire that a lot about you. I know I have seven minutes left with you, so I want to be very respectful of your time and ask you a sure. few, final, few final questions. Again, I'm going to keep mentioning this. Make sure you guys get this book, Green Lights, because it's truly inspiring. Some incredible stories. Matthew goes in deeper on a lot of these topics and gives you a lot of fun, humorous, powerful, emotional stories to tie into to remember as well about these lessons. So check this out. My, my question for you, uh, I've got a few final questions. One is, what is your biggest fear and what's been the biggest fear you've ever had to overcome? My biggest fear. I tell you my, my least favorite feeling and a certain emotion of feeling that I have I constantly challenged and battled with is a sense of significance. And I think a lot of that comes from, and this may go back to my 60 year old self telling my 50 year old self, Hey, you could have trusted yourself a little more, uh -huh. but I, 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 I feel a need so often to achieve hmm. and accomplish at the same time. I know in my heart that as we've been saying, you don't, there's no destination. It's all a verb. Life's a verb. It's a process. You don't ever achieve. So I'm trying to reframe that into going, keep achieving in the pursuit of the unachievable. <laughs> I mean, and, and make steps. So I do want to evolve. But a lot of times I'll emotionally feel insignificant if I don't achieve something. Interesting. And I think it's a, uh, uh, sometimes it's good. Because it is good to accomplish. It is good to set a goal, get what we want, go after it. Other times, it's like you kind of just need to sit still or just stay in, stay in your perpetual motion and go forward and quit. You don't miss the process for the, for, for, for seek, for the, the clinching seek of the result. Mm -hmm. and don't let the result tell you, oh, now I'm significant. You know what I mean? Um, at the same time, I've had a lot better results when I was stuck to the process. Oh. 
when I wasn't as worried about the result, when I, the best golfers shoot the best rounds, when they walk off 18 thinking they're going to the next tee box and someone's got to tell them, no, you finished the round, you shot 63. <laughs> oh, I did? <laughs> no, I've done my best work when we wrap and I'm like, okay, see y'all tomorrow morning. And they're like, no, that's it. We wrap, the show is over. And you're like, oh, really? Oh, wow. Stay in the zone, in the process. And I found that more results will come your way. Um, so I've, 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 I've battled that. I've battled that sometimes of making sure to remind myself to stay in that because I can get result oriented to an extent that I don't feel a sense of significance or a real lineage to my identity mm-hmm. if I don't achieve the thing that I want to achieve. And I find out later, maybe it wasn't what I needed to be, it wasn't what I was really trying to achieve anyway. But I sometimes need a measurement. I need to have more patience with myself to go, that's really not, this is part of the process because there's another achievement down the line that you don't even know you're working towards. Right. You know what I mean? So, so give yourself a break. You're in process. Stay in process. Um, I, think, I think this is really powerful for uh, any goal-oriented, driven person, whether they're an actor or not, uh, to realize that even you deal with that challenge, that fear that, I don't know if I call it insecurity, but a fear of, you know, am I making, having significance in my work and, you know, am I still relevant in my work or whatever the thing is that's- How am I doing as a father? How am I doing as a husband? You know, Um, am am I doing as good as I can do in in those places, in my relationships? Can I be a better friend? You know? Yeah. Oh, I could have been a better friend. I could have done that better, you know? So- That's, That's beautiful. I'm glad. Thank you for opening up about that. And I, I got to be respectful of your time. I got three minutes. So I want to ask yes. these two final questions. Uh, this is called the three truths. I ask this question to everyone at the end of my interviews, and it's a hypothetical question. So okay. you've written a memoir at 50. You share a lot of your wisdom and truths in here. I want to imagine you're 100, you're 150, you're as old as you want to be. And uh, for whatever reason, hypothetically, all the movies, the books, the work, the interviews that you've done in your life, they all got to go with you to the next place. So no one has access to Matthew McConaughey's content anymore. Okay. Uh, it's all gone um, with you to the next world, wherever that is. But you get to leave behind a note, a love note to the world that is your three truths, that this is all people would have to remember you by from your content. And it would be the three lessons that you would leave behind to the rest of us. Uh, or what I like to call your three truths. What would you say would be yours? Ooh, great question. Uh, let me riff here. To make it, um, value values. Make sense of humor your default emotion. And remember that you will have thousands of crises in your life, and most of them will never happen. <laughs> Those are. I don't think I've heard those three before out of a thousand plus episodes. I don't think I've heard those three. So those are, those are beautiful. Um, I want to acknowledge you, Matthew, for the significance that you continue to make every single day in your life, whether it's a fear or you feel like you're not. I think it's amazing the, the way you show up. You show up for your wife. You show up for your kids. You show up for the work you do. Uh, and even... Uh, I was chatting with uh, Emmanuel the other day who you did the second episode, I believe, of Uncomfortable Conversations with a Black Man. And you show up in moments when the world is uncertain or when our country and our nation is going through so much uh, unease. And you continue to show up and make a significance in so many people's lives. So I want to acknowledge you, Matthew, for 
being fun loving for living life for you know doing your thing uh but also for being a real human being every single day to the best of your ability and obviously we're not perfect but i i see you showing up and you're making a difference and i really acknowledge that beyond the awards and the acknowledgments and the the acting so i really i really acknowledge that for you man well, um, thank you Justin. of course my final question is coming, but make sure you guys get this book. I'm telling you, it's going to be a game changer for you. Go get it right now. Green lights. You're going to love it. Get it for a friend as well. It'll be the best gift you get them all year. Final question, really quick. What's your definition of greatness? <laughs> greatness. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know I love unanimous, and you know I love perfection, even though I'm don't think I'll ever achieve them or that they either are achievable in uh, this life. Greatness is pursuing that. Staying in the race, committing to the chase to be our better self, be better families, communities, civilizations, and people. Stay in the race. I mean, America's promise, our country's promise is, is opportunity and greatness. We're not ever going to arrive. The top every times that we're in right now, cultural revolution, we're not going to come out of this and go, oh, now we've found perfect justice. No, but as long as we keep evolving, as long as we got an ascension, that's called evolution. Stay in the chase, commit to the chase, stay in the race. And that's greatness. It's, it's staying in, in the process of the chase. 